Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, choose your reaction wisely. TikTok can make you happy. And how strong we truly are. This is Obstacle Course. Here we go. Yeah, man, TikTok. It can make you happy. Yeah, and we learned that today. Yeah. From this amazing guest. Yeah. Kara Robinson-Chamberlain was our guest today. She is, one of her big platforms is for sharing her story is TikTok. So we, we, we talked a little bit about that. We ticked and talked about it. Yeah. I didn't actually realize the play on words uh, in like TikTok, like yeah. T-A-L-K. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if that was intentional. We're not super familiar with TikTok, Obviously which not. you're probably realizing now. No. Um, and Kara enlightened us a bit about the platform, and and really we had a we started the conversation by having a talk about the uh, the pros of post social media, not not P R O S E, but the you know pros. Oh, all in. this wordplay is invigorating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. All those linguistic nerds that are listening along are, are really enjoying it right now, um, but. Yeah, the the benefits, the the positives sure. that can come from social media, because obviously we know about the negatives. They're they're in the limelight right now. But then we we shifted focus to Kara's incredible, riveting story, and I I think we we reference it a fair amount in the episode. But I think we'll we'll do our best to to tell a, a bit more of the detail of the story now just to, to set it up that yeah, way. Yeah, cuz we're not a true crime podcast. We've said that before and and you know my favorite murder did, did did talk about this story a little bit and and so the details are available online. Yeah. In, in fact, if if you want the full details, we're just, we're going to chat a bit here, but the full details should should be got on her website because she's given interviews yeah. and she's she's you know the the truth is what she said. Yeah. And and her website is com. We'll put it in the show notes the case itself so it was 2002 yeah kara was 15 years old at the time she was in her own front yard broad daylight broad daylight middle of the day a van pulled up yeah and uh, he pretended to be a magazine salesman yeah and it, it was actually a serial killer yeah who kidnapped her stuffed her into a rubbermaid container yeah in the car and transported her to back to his apartment yeah back to his home yeah. His wife and daughter were at, at Disneyland. Yeah, he sent them to Disneyland. Yeah. So he could do this. So it was planned. But it, he had planned to actually, he had been stalking someone else yeah. who wasn't around. And so this was spontaneous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But he was a premeditated serial killer. For sure. She managed to escape through some incredible, um, really, we, we talk about this process a lot in this episode, the, the resourcefulness that that Kara had at a young age and her her ability to stay present and actually f- find her way out of this was it's just fascinating um really really interesting conversation about that we'll get into but she she noticed details as closely as the color of the hair on a hairbrush that yeah. she saw and memorizing the uh serial number of, of the rubbermaid container of the rubbermaid container it, incredible stuff the dentist's name for the the killer was on like a fridge magnet yeah. or a business card on the fridge. Uh, and she recognized that. Um, it was, And yeah, then incredible. she got out of handcuffs. Did we mention that? She was able to get out of her handcuffs. Yeah. And, um, and then just went flying to the police station. And mm-hmm. it was important because a, a lot of, um, a lot of, you know, places that have talked about this story have said, 
and and she she cleared this up have said that the police actually didn't believe her when she first came yeah in. and that's a misrepresented part of the story she they, she changed the word to they were more in disbelief yeah which which you know let's be honest you know police are human all right mm-hmm. a 15 year old comes running in um obviously traumatized with a with a handcuff dangling from one of her hands yeah you're going to be in a state of disbelief. Absolutely. But they quickly became into a state of belief once they heard that she knew these details, yeah. like the red red hair and the brush and the serial numbers. And Yeah. yeah. I, I think we'd maybe be remiss about uh, not sharing the part of the story that there was a, a lot of sexual assault that did take place For sure. while she was kidnapped. And so that was a, one of the horrific details of the story. It a- ended up, Kara was able to be part of the investigation that... Uh, that came down with the killer. They they were able to track down this person through her details and and find that he was this serial killer, uh, Richard Evenitz, I believe was his name. Killed three three girls her age before that in the same way, just uh, broad daylight, just waltzed on up and and that was it. Yeah, um, horrible stuff. But uh, but is now um, Kara's story is is one of inspiration because she goes around teaching people, doing public speaking, um, really not talking about how not to get kidnapped because obviously this is a, a, a very um, unlikely event to take place. And, and one of the things I don't like about true crime podcasts is because I, I feel like it puts this mentality like this could happen to your children and then we become okay. helicopter parents and, and, sure. and worried about these terrible ordeals happening to everyone in our lives. But um She's not talking about how to not get kidnapped. She's talking about how we can be empowered to get through the greatest challenges that that ever uh, face us, and and how we can be resourceful and and choose our reaction and focus on projecting positivity into the future. And that's the kind of stuff that we actually talk about during the episode today. Just a, the strength of character comes through, folks. Like, um, it's. Just, it's unbelievable. There were, there were some parts where Andrew and I were just almost speechless, like just things she said that were just second nature to her. Well, of course, yeah. You know, you just survive or, you, you know, that's just what you do. And it's just like, that's just, that's not what everyone does, you know? Mm-hmm. And just, just seeing that strength of character at such a young age. But we talked about some, some of how we can get some of that strength of character through things like projecting positivity into the future instead of negativity. Yeah. And that can just be with small little things too. Yeah. And, and she shares some habits that she does on a, a daily basis, rituals that it, they may seem insignificant, but the practice of them is, is what enables her to have these traits. It's, it's a fascinating story. It's incredibly inspiring and, um, We hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed having this conversation. I thought for sure I'd give a thanks, folks, in there. Thanks, folks. (laughs) Well, let's get started. Thanks very much for being here, and welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Obstacle Course, K.R. Chamberlain. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk a lot about um, your incredible story uh, it's a long story so we're gonna do our best to squeeze it into 60 minutes because um, there's there's the case and and what actually happened on on that fateful day in the days that followed but really we're more interested in camping out in the the years that followed and the the progress that you've made and the work that you're doing now so we'll do our best to squeeze that all in and um, and yeah I think one place we're gonna start strangely we've never really started with this TikTok. before is TikTok. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a social media platform that John and I do I, not have. I can confirm <laughs> for the both of us. I just know this that neither of us have used it because no. um, I know that I haven't, and that's uh, I can speak for both of us there. Uh, but TikTok, why TikTok, and and um, what has your experience with TikTok been since starting that account? You know, um, I was wanting to increase my online presence and get back into speaking. I had previously done speaking engagements and I knew that I had to differentiate myself online. And when it comes to Facebook, you're nobody's going to find you on Facebook unless they're looking for you. Yeah. Instagram, it's hard to be heard there. And then I found TikTok and I found that TikTok had a whole different feel to it. Uh, it felt very authentic. It felt very supportive and it felt like the right move. And so I tried it. I started putting some videos on there and slowly but surely things started to kind of pick up and go viral. And what I found with TikTok is that they do a lot of the hard work for you. So they put your content in front of your ideal consumer of your content. Hmm. And so it makes it a little bit easier to grow. And I had some pretty pretty quick growth and pretty viral videos and amazing support and have found some lifelong friends through the platform. So it's been a pretty positive experience, I would say. That's amazing. And um, if you can, if some people out there who are listening, because I don't think our following is particularly... TikTokers? Uh, no, they don't <laughs> tick or, or talk. My kids love TikToking. Yeah. That's all they, that's how they communicate. Yeah. yeah. So what... What is it um, in, a, in a nutshell? It's, it's, it's all purely video, correct? Purely video, 60 seconds or less. Okay. And you can, you know, differentiate your content with different songs. And so if you use a song on the video, you can click that song. You can see every other song or every other video that's been posted using that song. And there's different trends. There's, it's very fun. It's very lighthearted. And it, I think it came uh, to popularity kind of at the perfect time because it came to popularity like right when the pandemic started mm -hmm. and uh is you know it just it makes me smile whereas i feel like the other social media platforms um yeah don't oh twitter is the <laughs> so worst you're missing out yeah, yeah. oh god yeah uh, i've talked no. yeah so one of the things that we want to talk about is your audience and the people that you speak to now so you mentioned that uh tiktok does a lot of help with that it actually like connects you to your audience who is the, your audience now? Before we kind of go back in time and, and hear more about your story, but what kind of people are you speaking to in the work that you're doing now? You know, I think a lot of my content initially appealed to people who are interested in the true crime genre in general. They wanted to hear the story. My first viral video was, you know, a 60 second overview of my story. And then I think people kind of stayed and more people came because what I talk about is the realities of what I've lived with as a survivor, different things that most people don't consider as a trauma survivor unless they've been through it. So I had an experience where I was able to sit down with six other women who were survivors of traumatic experiences and sexual assaults. And that was one of the most powerful things I was able to experience in my life, just to sit down with those women who really got it they got what i i felt and what i experienced and so i just have found that tiktok has been an avenue for me to bring that to other people so 
And it's not just trauma survivors. I think we all survive trauma, like trauma with a capital T, trauma with a, a lowercase t, and it all looks different. Mm -hmm. And there's no comparison between your trauma and my trauma and their trauma. It affects all of us kind of on an equal footing, depending on where we are. And so most of the people that are listening to my content are just people who have gone through hard stuff or they want to be inspired or you know, I think a lot of people are trauma survivors, but it's not exclusively. Well, and we were talking earlier, Kara, about um, some of the articles and some of the other podcasts that have covered your story. And one of the things you said is some of these some of these journalists have tried to say how you felt. And I think one great thing about TikTok and some social media when it's going well is it allows someone to actually say, no, this is how I felt. And yeah. so I think I think that's important. And, and one of the reasons we, we have you on on the podcast today is for you to explain in your own words how you felt and and how those feelings led to, um, you know, your ultimate escape and, and where you're at now. And so so that's, I think, one good thing about social media. Social media has probably never been more in the doghouse <laughs> than yeah. it is right now. The documentary that came out. Uh, which was oh, yeah. extraordinary and everybody should watch. Uh, was it The Social Dilemma or something like yep, that? Yeah, Social Dilemma. On Netflix. Oh, I, I watched that and oh my gosh. And so, but but this is great to, to kind of begin that, that there is still good places for social media to, to be used yeah. for, for good and not just narcissism or to make people feel like shit. Yeah, any, any feedback on that, Kara, in terms of... Um, how to harness the good in social media and and what we can do collectively to uh, embrace how its usefulness and not be brought down by uh, the the corruptive elements. I think it's just like anything where you're trying to protect your heart, right? Like anytime we're trying to remain positive, you really need to protect your heart, protect your soul, and you set boundaries, right? So if you are hanging out with someone that you know is not making you feel good, then you can set that boundary and be like, I don't feel good when I'm with you. So I think, you know, that's one of the things about social media that you can actually kind of tweak that. I think it's important, especially as we're like learning and growing and become stronger, stronger people every day that we constantly assess those boundaries. And, you know, if you have someone that's on your Instagram feed and they make you feel jealous or they make you feel like you're not good enough, then you don't need to follow them. <laughs> like yeah. it's plain and simple as that. Um, I think, you know, inspiration is okay, but if, if they're making you feel negative, then that's not the space for it. It's such a simple and profound point about like, we would never just usher anybody into our space in real life. Mm -hmm. But right. yet when we're just scrolling on social media, we're just allowing literally anybody to say whatever they want to us about anything. And they don't even right. really know us. And, that's the only area where we let ourselves do that. And no wonder we feel terrible when we're on there and conflicted and anxious and, and upset. Um, yeah, that's, right. a, that's a great point. So setting those boundaries is, is so important. Yeah. And, and what I hear you saying is it's mindful consumption. Like, and, Absolutely. And, and mindful consumption is, is something that we can practice in a lot of different ways, oh, yeah. whether it's with food or, yeah. or social media or like just consumerism and, and what we're spending our money on. But um, applying that to... To social media and and just not letting it consume us really is when we're right. just scrolling through and absorbing everything like we're we're now the the product like we're actually being used by it and they and said if, on the documentary we're the tool yeah it's no longer a tool we become the tool yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean they're yeah and i think i think also kind of goes in hand hand in hand with that is 
just like we wouldn't let people come into our house that disrespect our boundaries or don't make us feel safe. Right. We also wouldn't say things to people that we feel okay saying on social media. And sometimes that's positive, right? Like sometimes, like for instance, it's a lot easier for me to have a TikTok video where I'm talking about something as opposed to sitting down in front of a person, you know, a, a 200,000 people, right? And telling mm -hmm. them that. Um, but I think so many people, I, I've experienced a lot of this in the last couple of weeks where people will come on and they, instead of just scrolling past something they don't agree with, right? Like you just, you just scroll. Uh, they feel the need to interject their negative opinion into my narrative. Mm -hmm. And I'm very quick to set that boundary and be like, this is not space for that. But I think, you know, being very mindful of setting those boundaries, if people come into your space and they speak negatively, negatively to you as well, is very important. Yeah. And you, you are big on empowerment. That's one of, um, I think you're, you're, if it's not a core belief, I'll, that's a phrase that I'm using. But when we when we spoke the first time, you were very much about empowerment, and and it uh, that that kind of action is, is certainly empowering. Is is setting those boundaries, so that's great. I, I'm really glad we went there a little bit because that's a, a useful conversation for for everyone. Um, but let's kind of let's turn the clock back a little bit. One of the things that we wanted to talk about, and um, without kind of going too in, in depth into the the case. Um, was your feelings and how you were able to um, control your feelings and and be uh, present while there was so much trauma going on. So if, if you don't mind sharing, um, going back to that day in 2002 when um, you had been kidnapped, um, you didn't know who this person was, he ended up being a serial killer, and you were trapped and yet you still were able to remain calm and, and pick out certain details. Uh, if you could share a little bit of maybe what those some of those details were that you became aware of and, and how you were able to keep a, a somewhat clear headspace, at least that, that's our understanding of it from the stories that we've yeah. heard. Yeah, you know, I think first and foremost, it's important to preface this by saying that the human body, and I'm sure you guys experience this with some of the people that you talk to, the human body and the ability and the desire to survive it's it is a very strong force to be reckoned with you know the human spirit and the human body doesn't want to be killed so i think that first and foremost that is the biggest thing i had in my corner is that i wanted to survive and my body automatically kind of kicked into certain protection mechanisms that enabled me to stay calm so one thing i've experienced that I kind of had a, it took me a while to put kind of a, a word with the feeling is that I've always been able to, ex to explain what happened to me and talk about what happened to me in very matter of fact, the way I'm speaking to you right now in a very concise way. And it's often hard for people to understand, but I think that it's fairly common for people who have been through a traumatic experience to disassociate. And that's, that's what I, can say that I experience is that when I tell you these stories, it's like me telling a story that I heard from someone else. Mm -hmm. I have the memories, but it's almost like looking down on it. There's not very much emotion that is tied to those feelings. I think, I just don't think that I have gotten to the point in my recovery. I and mean, here I am, you know, many, many years later, and I'm still processing my trauma and recovering. But 
I don't think I've gotten to the point of my recovery where I can associate feelings necessarily that I felt in that moment. Um, so I think that my emotions really were turned off and that was my protection mechanism. That was my survival mechanism. Which is really interesting. Uh, it's actually something that, that we, John and I talked about a little bit after our first call because it, it seemed like you were dissociating from those emotions. And uh, we, we had a, an interview quite a long time ago now with, with a woman who um, had been victim of, of horrendous abuse and she became dissociating and, and she was kind of unable to stop that pattern of dissociation. Um, and it, it took a, a lot of therapy mm-hmm. to overcome that, um, it, it, that disorder with dissociation. So uh, before we kind of continue, I, I just had to ask is, has that shown up that pattern of, of dissociating? Has it shown up later or was it, was it just kind of in that moment for, um, while you were kidnapped? I think it has ingrained itself in my psyche. I, you know, is recently as five years ago, you know, people be like, oh, I watched this movie and it was, you know, it made me feel all these feelings. And I'm like, what are feelings? I don't, I don't associate with those. That doesn't, Hmm. or people would ask how I feel about my husband being gone. And I'm like, I don't feel. So I, I feel like that switch really just got turned off for a very long time because that was such a strong, impactful event that, you know, whenever you experience traumatic events, especially when you're younger, it affects, if you've read The Body Keeps the Score, right? Mm -hmm. It affects how you process stressors throughout your life. And so whenever I would come up against stress or any intense emotion, really, uh, that's kind of how I would deal with it. And it's a, it's a great protection mechanism, right? Like it's what helped me to survive, but it's a double-edged sword because if you're not feeling sadness, if you're not feeling despair, you're also not feeling true joy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I experienced that. Yeah, I would, I would say only within the last two to three years, I've been able to start feeling things again because I didn't realize I was doing it. And mm-hmm. what, made it come to my realization is I was feeling angry all the time. I was just always angry. And I kind of sat with myself and I was like, why am I so angry? And most of it was because something was out of my control, right? Which, hello, that's clearly a trigger. <laughs> like, uh, And that's a very common trauma response as well, is to feel anger or uncomfortable when something's out of your control. And I realized that when you're suppressing all of your emotions, the one that's the hardest to suppress or the one that's eventually going to bubble up to the surface for me uh, is anger. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of started sitting with it and I was like, okay, so you can feel emotions um, and just kind of internally processed and worked through that until I began to feel safer and able to process. And it's the journey's not over. (laughs) You know, you, you mentioned looking back, um, on that on that day and and you said you know there's such a strong desire to survive um that um you just you did what you had to do but but the reality is not everybody is able to do that i mean there's there's many people who don't survive all kinds of things and so what i was wondering is is looking back is there some things that you can identify that maybe you could share 
to to help people who find themselves caught in compromised situations that that were useful now looking back um that perhaps at the time were just part of your will to survive but now you realize they were actually um, skills i had that i was able to use to to eventually escape um perhaps could you share some of those yeah i think you know there was there was a small part of me that had had a plan in place for should this ever happen where did that come from i don't know i was never my parents never said you know if someone kidnaps you this is what you should do it was just maybe it was just my innate stubbornness right that <laughs> nobody's going to tell me what to do and so i kind of formulated a plan of action right like the best the best defense is a good offense right so mm-hmm. so i had i already had my offensive strategy in place and so i knew that if something like this ever happened that i would remain calm i would gather information and i would escape so i think i went into the situation already looking at the positive outcome wow. so i was already picturing like i'm going to escape so what do i need to do to make that happen well i need to look for an opportunity well when's my best opportunity going to be well everyone has to sleep he has to sleep at some point so that's going to be my opportunity well when i escape i don't know who he is so what can i do to try to figure out who he is to try to identify him because when i run out i knew i was in an apartment when i run out i'm not going to be able to identify the apartment i'm not going to be able to tell police who he is so what can i do so i just started gathering information and kind of becoming my own detective trying to figure out who he was so that i could identify him when i escaped because there was never any question i went into it and i was like i will escape and when i do this is what it will look like and so i just had to look for that opportunity to present itself that's incredibly powerful oh my gosh yeah. um the the word that came to mind was resourcefulness and it's something in coaching that that is a a really important word because the more that we can be resourceful thinking of those details thinking of the the positive outcome the the better our mind works to to make that happen and and it's it's just shocking and incredible that in such a horrible situation in with so much trauma and and danger around you you were able to be that resourceful and and it's it's inspiring because it it reminds us that we can like we the power of our minds is so strong that we can be resourceful in spite of the circumstances and and when we do that that is the result um yeah i i I just love that well and and i think it's important to to note like you're you're 15 years old and and so you might think you know, a, a well-seasoned, mature adult has, has gotten to a point where they've learned to think like that and be resourceful. But as a 15-year-old, that's even more extraordinary. Um, did you feel like feelings of, you must have felt feelings of panic and just, and, and just like, but you were able in that moment to sort of push them down and instead, you know, say, no, I will escape. Did you feel that fight? Yeah, I think you know, there were, there were moments when I felt panic. So I would say, you know, the first time, the first moment that I felt a gun being put to my neck, right? Like there's panic and then it's like, okay, but now what? So it it was momentary then. 
Um, and then there was a moment that uh, he put me back in the container because he had to call his wife and uh, he put the lid on the container and I couldn't breathe. So I started, started to hyperventilate. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, right, like all the resourcefulness is gone, right? Like I become then, you know, a traumatized 15 year old as expected. Um, but then there's also, I, I, I think that a big part of my survival and my will to live cannot be understated my stubbornness because <laughs> I was like, he wants, he wants me to be weak and he wants me to be crying and, and he wants, you know, he wants me to be a victim. And I was like, I refuse. Like you're already taking so many things from me. I will not be, if there's any part of me that can control my, my victim, my victimization, I guess, um, then I want to control that. And so for me, you know, I didn't have any control over everything that was happening to me, but what I did have control of was my reaction. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's been a, a lifelong lesson. And one of my big, I guess, talking points is that, you know, we, in any circumstance, any negative, positive thing that happens to you, you can't really control everything that happens to you. You can, you know, picture that positive ending and you can prepare for it and you can hope for it, but you can't control what actually does happen. But what you can control is your reaction, right? So, so for me, I was like, I can control that. I can control how I react to him. And so I tried to remain as calm as possible so that he would be a little more at ease and, I would then be able to escape. Wow. Yeah, I I really appreciate that um, that reference to to not allowing yourself to be a victim, um, and it's it's really like a, a self concept. It's an identity that mm -hmm. you were choosing to be a survivor, not a, a victim. And I I know that a lot of people struggle with kind of that that victimhood um, image in of of themselves from the trauma that they've experienced and i one of the things that i wanted to ask was was like when you kind of were able to make that switch from from victim to survivor and the fact that you did it in the middle of the trauma is yeah. is fascinating but when you coach people now and you instruct people how do you help them how do you enable them to to not uh, self-identify as a victim but instead as a, a survivor I think, I think it can be tricky because everyone's reaction to a traumatic situation is different. But I think that there are definitely things that you can do that can kind of shift that mindset. So, you know, one, one thing that I like to tell people is, you know, remember that it's already happened. So whenever you feel those, those feelings of anxiety, you've already, you've already done the hard part. You've survived that hard thing. So you can, you can do these other things because they're not as hard. You can overcome the memories and the flashbacks and whatever else you may have. Um, so I like to tell people that. I like to tell them that you get to choose your reaction, right? Like I said, um, and if you're having trouble with that identification, I think that it's important to remind ourselves of the positive things we have in our life and how strong we truly are. So whatever that looks like for you, for me, I, I find a great sense of comfort from something as simple as gratitude journaling. I will never stop 
singing its praises. And it's so simple. It takes moments and you just write down some days, you know, it says oxygen and coffee, right? And sometimes it's very profound, but usually it's very simple. And it's things that I am just thankful to have in that moment. Um, and then reminding yourself of how strong you are. So thinking of your successes, like it was hard when this happened, but I responded positively and I was strong and this is how I was strong then. And just really, I mean, it's, you can't outthink trauma response, right? Mm. So you have to retrain your psychosomatic reactions to it, really. Mm. I, I love that part about you can't outthink it. Boy, we try and mm -hmm. outthink a lot of things and it's just like getting caught in a briar bush. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, you know, the, the point that that um, stood out to me is just um, in just your telling this is is how gentle and kind you are with yourself. And and um, and, you know, you even admitted earlier, like, yeah, I, I'm still in a place of, of disassociating, you know, and, and you're and you're saying but but it's, it's important because it's all part of um, a, a process that I'm, that I'm going through. And I, I just think that's really empowering to know that because, um, it probably allows you to go through the process a little bit easier. Would you say? Yeah. And I mean, really, if we think about it, our lives are a journey mm -hmm. and every single thing that happens, it puts us where, where we are today. So for me, right. If I could sit here and I could say, wow, that was, you know, a really crappy thing that happened to me and I wish it didn't happen, but that's not going to change the past. Instead, I look at it and I say, well, if I wouldn't have been kidnapped, I never would have worked in law enforcement. I never would have met my husband. I never would be where I am today. I never would be able to go and help other people and genuinely change people's lives. Mm -hmm. So I think that it takes practice and it takes work to look at your life that way. And I think that um, you know, society doesn't tell us to do that, right? Like mm -hmm. you look at the news, it's never the positive, right? They're only talking about the negative things. And, and so society doesn't teach us to look at, look at the bright side. I hate to say, look at the bright side, because if you're in the midst of a storm, you're not going to see the sun, right? But when you get out of it, you can look back and you can see it and you can see the rainbow and you can see the beautiful outcome of that storm yeah and the sun was still up there right <laughs> you just didn't see it yeah yeah that's headspace yeah exactly the head the head, <laughs> headspace app um which john and i have both used with meditation um yeah. that's one of the central tenets is is you know despite the clouds the, the sun is still shining it's just being obstructed and and so how can we Absolutely. work on removing those clouds i watch that video like once a week man I yeah need, i need that reminder all the time that blue sky is always there it's great yeah um yeah. And yeah, I just wanted to touch on what, what you just mentioned, Kara, um, because it's really the heart of Obstacle Course and, and the, the whole central tenant that sometimes the, the craziest possible thing imaginable, the worst thing that could ever happen to us, ends up being at the center of our, our new amazing lives. And, uh, and it, at the very least, it can become a, an opportunity for a lot of growth and a lot of learning. And so how bizarre is it for you now that the the worst possible trauma imaginable is now how like it provides you your sources of income. It's enabled you to meet your husband and, and have this wonderful family. Um, it now enables you to inspire thousands of people. How bizarre is that? 
it's pretty bizarre, but you know, in the, in the same breath, I couldn't imagine it being any different. I feel like I've always felt very open talking about my trauma and I've always had a feeling that my ability to survive and my ability to talk about my experiences would be to help people. I felt like it was pain, but it was for a purpose. And that purpose was my growth and to help other people. And so, you know, it's, it's weird, but it is. And, you know, it might not even be the hardest thing I have to go through in my life. You know, like, I think, you know, some people that might make them feel worse when you're like, you've been through something hard, but it might not even be the hardest thing. Right. But for me, I'm like, okay, well, I mean, that was preparing me for something, right? Like it was preparing me for where I'm at right now. Maybe it was preparing me for something in my future. Um, you know, I've had, I have friends who they've experienced trauma and then their children have experienced trauma. And, you know, I'm like, well, I'm just very happy that you're their parent because you are prepared to handle that. Um, and it, you know, it's just, you have to kind of, you have to look for those silver linings. Yeah. And, and just touching on that repressed trauma when it isn't dealt with can actually pass through to our children through our DNA. Sure. It, right. It isn't that the craziest? Stays. I'm reading yeah. a book on that right now. That book is blowing my mind. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All about oh. how th three generations of trauma can pass through all the way through. You've probably, you're probably familiar with it. Oh yeah. It's called it yeah. didn't, didn't start with you. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, I, I remember learning, you know, I think it's a year or two ago. It's like, yeah, you know, the egg that became you was formed in your grandmother's body. So mm -hmm. you're not just, you're not just, you know, dealing with your mother's toxic, emotional burden. You're dealing with your grandmother's and then she's dealing with, you know, like her grandmother's. It's like, and yeah. it's, it's so nice to have someone else to blame. It's not my problem. It's not my problem. Yeah. It's yeah. Gran yeah. grandpa. <laughs> right. And, and it also shows the importance of dealing with the trauma for sure. And, yes. and like actually getting face to face with it. Um, yeah. I, on that, are there any other practices? You mentioned some fantastic habits that are, that are um, simple, but not necessarily easy. Um, and, and are, a lot more transformative than they might appear like gratitude journaling and, and mm -hmm. being resourceful and fo focusing on the positive. Have there been any other habits or techniques or types of therapy or, or whatever it might be that, that did help you overcome the trauma that you went through? So personally, I, uh, I haven't really gone to therapy specifically for my trauma. I have gone to therapy before, um, but it was, it was due to another situation. Um, I was in an emotionally abusive relationship for several years when I was in my late teens and, um, I had some depression. And so I went to counseling and therapy for that, but I've always, it's always been cathartic for me to just talk about what happened, mm -hmm. um, and just let people hear it. Um, and so just kind of talking and sharing with people, I've found that seeing the reaction from people hearing my story and seeing their positive feedback has been very healing in a way that I didn't know that I needed to heal. Mm -hmm. um, I think another big transformative thing was really meeting and talking to people who have been through similar situations or listening to them talk. Um, 
but specifically talking to them and sharing my story with them because there's things that can that go unsaid there's you know i remember sitting down with elizabeth smart and she was like you know why why didn't you tell people your story basically and i was like well you know i didn't if someone didn't already know i didn't want to tell them because there's that look that they give you yeah. and i'm like you know the look and she was like oh i know the look and it's like but other people don't they don't know the look right so that was that was a very transformative and healing to me and then one of the other things that i've found has been healing to me of late is exercise and fitness so and in a different way so we all know like oh it helps you to deal with stress it gives you endorphins right so for me it's a little different um i feel like i kind of lost myself i think most most mothers will understand this i feel like i lost myself for a while after having kids and you know my husband being gone it's it was a lot um but i i was into fitness before i had kids and so i got back into it and what i've found is often whenever there's a lot going on I struggle and I guess because of the disassociation I struggle with putting my feelings into words so after I had you know I had a viral TikTok video and a BuzzFeed article and I was getting I mean I was getting multiple requests nonstop from all over the place all over the world and my brain just couldn't comprehend it I I couldn't categorize things and my husband was like you just need to go work out and i did i went and worked out and it kind of shuts off that that thinking pattern and allows me to just be in my body which i think is you know now that i'm thinking about it right this second like that's that's the exact healing i need right because disassociation is not being in your body and not being in touch with your emotions so um working out allows me to be in my body and feel those feelings. And I think on some level there's, you know, a subconscious reaction of learning how strong I am, right? Like there's measurable progress in that. And I think in a lot of things, it's hard to have measurable progress, but if you're lifting weights or you're running, like it's very measurable. You can see how you're getting stronger. So I think on a subconscious level, it helps to remind you of how strong you really are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You're, we both uh, rely on exercise. Andrew and I have both said we're totally different people. Um, if we miss a couple days, it's, it's essential. Yeah. Um, you know, and one of the other obvious things that has been instrumental to your, to your healing has been your work with other people to inspire other people. And I just think, uh, it's just such another good reminder. And, and the, the crazy thing is about your story is you started that work almost immediately. It sounds like, like, weren't you by the, like the next year already working at the sheriff's office in like the administration department as a 16 year old? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, I was. Um, and you know, I think that, um, you know, the sheriff kind of took me under his wing. He had a brand new baby, but he also had other daughters at the time. And so he only has daughters. <laughs> and so <laughs> I just became, you know, an additional daughter to him. And mm. so. So he took me under his wing and he was like, do you want a summer job? And I was like, sure. And so I worked there all through high school and during college um, up until I was, I was like a semester from graduation. And, you know, the sheriff would always check up on me like every, at the end of the semester, how are your grades? Mm -hmm. um, and I went into his office to review my grades 
And I was like, so I, I'm thinking about switching my major. I was a psychology major. And I said, I, I think I want to be a teacher. And he said, okay, well, that's fine. You know, I'll support you. You can work here through the rest of college, but if you want a job, you know, you could always have a job here doing whatever it is you want. And if you want to combine law enforcement with your passion to teach, then you could be a school resource officer. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> yeah. And then lo and behold, I was like, oh, law enforcement is kind of fun. Like, <laughs> and so I kind of fell into, you know, into that, that whole field basically. Um, but I think, you know, that, there's lots of little things that happened throughout my life and my story that kind of opened doors for me to share my story and allowed me to influence people in ways that I didn't plan or didn't, uh, didn't anticipate. Yeah. Like, like I, I heard that, um, you were able to connect with the families of some of the other victims. Yeah. Um, is, is that right? That, that must, is it yeah. something that, yeah, do you want to share pretty, that? Yeah, pretty immediately. Um, that happened, uh, I think. And so I was, I was kidnapped in June and it happened in August. I think mm. if I remember correctly is when I met them and there was, there was a reward. There was a task force for, you know, trying to solve the murders of the three girls in Virginia and when they decided they wanted to give me the reward money that that task force had put up, uh, we went to Virginia to go get it. And I was able to meet them then. I think that I was still, uh, I was still pretty dissociated, like heavily dissociated then. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I, I don't have, you know, when you dissociate what kind of what happens, it's kind of like a, like a nebulous clock cloud of thoughts. Um, so like, I know the things that happen, right. And sometimes I can't put together where they go and how I felt in that moment. Um, but I still have actually, I think it's in here with me. I think it's in this room with me. I have one of the mothers, uh, of the girls gave me a uh, charm bracelet and it had charms on it for each one of the girls. And, mm. you know, I was able to meet the dog that went in and the canine that went in and bit him and the officer that handled that canine and um, meet all these people that had worked for, you know, six years trying to figure out who this person was. Um, wow. And I think looking on it now, looking back on it, I realize how, how powerful that was that I was able to go in and do those things at the time I was 15, mm -hmm. you know, you know what my concerns were? I was, they were like, we're going to, you know, give you this reward money. And I was like, can I get one of those big checks? Like they give you on <laughs> clearing house. And yeah, they did. And then we had to, you know, carry it. We had to carry it onto the plane. So <laughs> those don't fit it. in the machine though, eh? No, yeah. <laughs> like, like my little 15 year old mind was like, I want one of those checks. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Like that's what was important to me at the time. It's so real. So, so yeah, so what... I was still very much a six or you know, fifteen, sixteen year old girl at the time. Yeah, as you should be, as you, in that time. But but yeah, looking back on that now, what what does that teach you about yourself and and your own capacity when when you when you think back to that that action that you took? You know, I um, 
I will say one of the things that really opened my eyes to what I did, because to me, all I did was what I had to do to survive, right? Like I look at it and I'm like, yeah, like people, it's so amazing that you did that and you were 15 and I'm like, yeah, like I just <laughs> survived. I don't know. Um, but when I was in the academy, we had an officer that came and was talking to us about, he was shot at point blank range with, um, like a 22 caliber and he was out of radio service and he had to walk like a mile with a gunshot wound to the head and radio in. And, uh, he was, you know, gave a perfect description of the person and this is where I am and this is the direction, you know, and he headed East. And, and I remember listening to that story and I was like, Wow. That's amazing. I don't know if I was shot in the head, like, would I be able to do, I don't know if I'd be able to do that. Maybe, maybe I'm not cut out for this line of work. And like literally the next day I was like, Oh, Oh, I already did something kind of like that. (laughs) I was like, okay. So that was kind of the realization. I was like, Oh, I've, I've already done that. Like I've already survived an extraordinary circumstance. Um, so I think it's been a slow realization process. And still, when I look on it, look back on it, I'm like, I mean, I didn't have an option. I did. There was no other option for me. Well, one of the one of the you know points coming across loud and clear is we've all heard the phrase "you're stronger than you think," and it's like yeah. literally true. It is is the takeaway is like you we don't know how strong we are until we're in that moment. And, and that, no can, that can give us a bit of strength and hope, actually, knowing that if we do find ourselves in a compromised situation in our life, which we will in some way, um, yeah. that we do actually have the inner mental um, resources to get through it. And that, that can maybe decrease some of the anticipatory anxiety we may have for some of our, our events coming up in our life, whether it's a death or, or the, the death of a relationship or, or anything. And, and that's that's encouraging for anyone listening just to be like, you are literally stronger than you think. Yeah. And yeah. And so how um, it's something that I've been thinking about recently is I've been doing it. Um, it's probably a TikTok challenge, too. It's, it's called <laughs> 75 hard. It's probably on TikTok. It's definitely on, on Instagram and other stuff. Yeah. But um, one of the things that I've been thinking about has been catching myself when I'm projecting negativity into the future, like and just how. Uh, how self-limiting that kind of mindset is. Um, it, it not only projects that negativity, it also like, it, which we don't actually know what's going to happen a week right. in the future. We don't know what that environment is going to be like. We don't know how we're going to be feeling. It, it might be really positive. We don't know. We cannot see the future. And it also puts a, a damper on our current state mm-hmm. by doing so. But right. what what you've been talking about, Kara, which I love is it's like you project positivity into the future. And so um, even when you were being kidnapped, you were projecting positivity about how you're going to escape. So what do you think it takes to flip that switch from projecting negativity into the future to positivity? You know, I think, I think um, you, you hear all these people, right? They're like, oh, you just have to do positive informations and you manifest these things into truth, right? And the fact of the matter is that, yeah, I think for a lot of people, those things work and it's because your body is listening, right? Mm -hmm. Like your body's listening to your thoughts. And if you already are picturing that negative outcome, you're going to start preparing for that negative outcome. You're going to be like, oh, well, you know, I know that this is going to happen. So I'm just going to 
just, or, you know, like I know I have a birthday party coming up, so I'm just going to go ahead and plan that I'm going to, you know, eat five pieces of cake. It's like, well, why can't you, why can't you plan the opposite way? Right. Um, And I think, I think that it can't be understated in a traumatic experience, the effects of the adrenaline Mm -hmm. alone. Right. And that will to survive. And, you know, how did I tap into one thing over the other? I, I don't have an answer for that. You know, it's something inside of me. Maybe it is something generational, right? Um, but something inside of me was already looking for that positive outcome. And I mean, if you want to say manifestation, I don't necessarily believe in that particularly personally. But, you know, I manifested my my result, right? So, um, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, I mentioned gratitude journaling, like that is a very easy, maybe not easy, but simple thing to do that begins to slowly train your brain to look for those positive outcomes and pretty quickly. Um, so I think that there's definitely little things that we can do day to day to just, I mean, you have to retrain your brain. But, you know, there are a few things, though, that that you have that you do remember that that you've been able to do. Like you have a TikTok video on how to escape handcuffs. <laughs> yeah, well, isn't that right? I, well, someone asked me this. Is one of the kind of cool things about TikTok is that people ask you a question and you can like film a video reply. Okay. You're like, there's not as much pressure, right? Because you're like, ah, 60 seconds. I'll just <laughs> bang out a reply real quick instead of typing it. Um so someone asked, like, what would you what would you recommend? And I was like, well, I mean, sure, you can break out of handcuffs if you have like a key or a bobby pin. But who has that? Like most people don't. Um, so I was lucky in that um, I was I actually had to um, disconnect the handcuffs from where they were kind of connected to the bed. Um, and, and then once I was out of the apartment. I was able to slip one of my hands out of the handcuffs because it was just loose enough um, that I was able to do that. But I, I mean, that was purely luck for me on the ability to get one of my hands out of handcuffs. Um, I don't necessarily have an answer for that. Now that one of the cool things about TikTok, there is a guy on TikTok and he tells you how to get out of every single restraint situation that exists. He shows you the videos, oh, really? like how to do it. And he demonstrates it. And he actually posted one a couple of days ago about how to get out of handcuffs without a key, which, you know, <laughs> positive, negative, I don't know. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. Interesting. Well, um, we're, we're beginning to come to the, the end of our, our time today. And I'm just... I'm fascinated with how many different points we've touched on and, and like how rich the conversation's been. We really haven't focused on, on the story very much, which I think maybe we manifested that because it wasn't really our intention to. Um, yeah. nice. But it's just gone in so many different places. And, and we talked about projecting some positivity into the future just now. And I'm wondering if, if you can look into your future, what are you trying to project from, from the work that you're doing now? What what are your goals? What what outcome would you most desire from um, the powerful work that you're doing? Isn't that so hard when someone asks you on like a public forum, "What are your goals?" and you're like, "I don't, I don't want to say." <laughs> That's, you just make them up. Just make them up. <laughs> yeah, but no, my brand is about authenticity. Okay. So. Okay. All right. So, um, 
So I think one of the things that I've always desired out of this is just, I've always, I've always thought if I can change one person's life, then I will consider it a success. And I think that I've already checked that box a couple of times. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I have a, a documentary, a made for TV movie documentary in the works. Um, and my hopes are that that will give me some platform to which I can go and speak with other people and help them tell their stories um, in a way that feels safe because I think that was so impactful for me to speak to someone who understand my who understood my situation. Um, so if we're talking like big, huge, dream as big as you can, um, I would love to be able to go and like actually interview people who wanted to share their story in a in a larger format. Um, and shorter term goals, you know, a book and speaking engagements and I mean, international press, you know, like, I think the more that I'm able to, to go and do these things and share my truths, um, I think some of it's going to resonate with someone, right? Like, I think that there's enough variability in my story and the way I tell it and the lessons that I've learned that hopefully I'll be able to affect a large capacity of people. You, you know, I, I want to take Andrew's great question and now now bring it down to like a little micro question. Okay. Um, you got two little micro boys, <laughs> four and four and seven years old. Yeah. And um, presumably they don't know. They don't know what's happened to you. They're probably or, they, or have you has that? Been I, um, I have they my four year old, not so much. My seven year old is very savvy, so it would be impossible for me to hide this too much. Um, so I've just, he knows in an age appropriate way that when I was younger, that someone took me from my mommy and my daddy and mm. that I escaped. Um, and that's pretty much the extent of what he knows. And he knows that, you know, like I do these interviews, I do different things and that I talk about that. Um, I think the, I, I'm very, I'm very mindful to not impress my trauma and my anxieties upon them. Um, but it is helpful for them to have that context whenever, you know, they're outside and they're, you know, they're out of my sight. I'm like, Hey, don't do that. Hmm. <laughs> like, so they know that, um, that context of that. I, I'm very mindful of treating my children like the adults I want them to be instead of treating them like children. I try to, you know, train them up. Well, yeah. Um, and we just live in a time where you really can't have family secrets anymore. We have the right. we have the internet. Like they're they're right. going to find out. And so, yeah. Um, I guess just part of my question is, you know, there's there's a lot of people who have endured trauma and and they they try and keep it from their kids. And I'm just mm -hmm. wondering if um, if you believe that it's important to one day have that conversation with the kids, and how how much how much to share. I, I, ju I just think that some people might I be mean, wondering. Yeah, I think you have to take it on a kid by kid and a case by case basis. Hmm. Um, but for me, I, like I said, I speak to my children like they're adults. You know, I mean, I, I try to be very authentic with them as well. So, you know, and I, I think that that goes with all of my parenting strategies. And so obviously it would apply to this as well. You know, so I, I never really hid it from them. Um, and I think that it's important for our children to see us struggle mm -hmm. 
from time to time. And I think it's important for them to also see us recover because how, how healing is it for them? Because if they never see you struggle, then they'll be like, well, what's wrong with me? I'm struggling, right? At some point in their life, they're going to struggle and they're going to internalize that mom never had any problems, right? And how healing is it for them also to, from a very young age, to hear, a, you know, different, different situations, but that these hard things happen and you pick yourself up and you dust yourself off and then you figure out where you go from there. Right. So I think it's very important to to share in an age appropriate way with them because it it teaches them at a very core level what life is like. Beautiful point. Yeah. Yes. And, and great parenting strategy. Um, I feel like I just need to have kids now just so I can utilize that strategy. <laughs> it's not just your decision. Because... <laughs> <laughs> just go ahead and do it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe I'll get a couple cats first. Yeah, That's probably start with that. Yeah, but they'll they'll <laughs> learn to. Cool. Well, yeah, that that is a, a great note to end on, and and um, so much wisdom that you've brought here today, Kara. Thank you so much. Um, mm-hmm. It's um, amazing that the, the deep learning that you have have gone through and continue to go through with with that resourcefulness in mind. It, it's it's super inspiring, and and I. I wish you the best of luck in, in continuing to do that work, and, and we're excited to see um, what stage you're on next. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's. I thank you guys too because I even had you know some growth and some realization just through talking with you guys today, where I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I do that thing that I do, right? So I mean, it's it's a lifelong process, right? Like growing. If you're not growing, you got to go one way or the other, right? For sure. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, and we'll, we'll put your website in the show notes. Would you, would you say that's probably the best way for people to get familiar with the, with the aspect of the story if they want to learn more and and also get connected to you and your work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my website links to all of my social media profiles. I also have, um, a media page where I link any media that I've done, um, give a brief overview of my case, that kind of stuff. Perfect. Thanks so much, Kara. We, We really appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thank you. And that's the episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find us at all the usual places. Obstaclecoursepodcast.com. We're very active on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast. And speaking of Facebook, we have a great new growing community called the Obstacle Course Community that you can join, dialogue with Andrew and I and your fellow listeners about the previous week's episode and any obstacles you're dealing with. And we do appreciate reviews, whether it's on iTunes, Google, Facebook, whatever. It helps people find the podcast. And it's nothing to do with our fragile egos. Well, uh, you know, we just like to hear back from great people just like yourselves. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep pushing through those obstacles.